Asian American and Pacific Islander stories and perspectives exist beyond a single month. So in an effort to capture a snapshot of some of these stories, We Love Buford Highway and the Asian American Advocacy Fund come together through solidarity to bring you a three-part story series to highlight the voices and journeys of several API organizers here in Atlanta. Through group discussions and individual interviews, these local voices will unpack some of the victories, struggles, and complexities of identifying as AAPI in the South. The AAPI Organizing in the South series will put out new episodes every Friday, starting May 12th. Don't forget to follow this podcast to get notified every time we release another episode. third and final group discussion of the limited series AAPI Organizing in the South, you will hear Janie Kim, Community Engagement Specialist for Asian American Advocacy Fund, and Lily Pabian, Executive Director of We Love Buford Highway. They were both acting as guides and participants in this conversation. The group included three API organizers and community members in Atlanta. Alina Lee, founding partner of her law firm Your Ad Attorney, Anne-Marie Gutley, community organizer and nonprofit leader, and Vaughn Galasso, UX designer, artist, and community member. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so feel free to share that information too. Yeah. <laughs> Someone was like, "Do you want me to put like Jed X?" And we're like, "No." <laughs> but it kind of ties in, I think, to our theme. So I'll just start us off with, um, "What does coordination mean to you?" My name is Alina Lee, and I'm a corporate attorney, and I have been involved in organizing in various Asian American and non-Asian American nonprofits for the past 10 years, and over like 10 different organizations, I guess I would say. Um, But for this particular question, when it comes to community crisis, there were two instances you know, that I'm pretty proud of where I kind of took action as part of a a group. And one was when I was at Wheel of Buford Highway when COVID happened, we knew that a a lot of the people along Buford Highway work in like work in restaurants or work in manufacturing. And they also work like hourly jobs. And so we knew that a lot of people were not going to be able to go to work for prolonged periods of time. And how are they going to feed their families? And a lot of these communities really work paycheck to paycheck. That's when I called Lily. I called the entire board. We had an emergency meeting. And we, out of several meetings, we came up with the idea of partnering with lots of other organizations in the broader Atlanta area, including we, we worked with the Atlanta Community Food Bank. We worked with there was like a global organization that remember we worked with in the beginning where we served those hot meals. We worked with a lot of different organizations across Atlanta to provide food to people up and down Buford Highway. And that has been one of the most meaningful and impactful programs. It came out of that immediate need that we saw. The second is after the March 16th spot shootings, um, so I'm an attorney by training, and the Georgia Asian Pacific American Bar Association was one of the organizations that was called to comment about the shootings. And several of the victims were Korean, and so the Korean American Bar Association was also called by news organizations from across the country to comment about the shootings. 
because I think we all believe that it was racially targeted. And I think that even though there was some denial around that in the beginning in Georgia, people it nationally and internationally saw that it was a racially targeted incident. And so we, you know, we called all, all of our friends at all sorts of various organizations, including like CPACs and Asian Americans Advancing Justice. We organized at the Korean American Bar Association, we organized for attorneys to provide free legal services to the families. And then we subsequently organized for the Georgia Asian Pacific American Bar Association, several of us, about a group of a dozen of us, uh, volunteered to create a first of its kind Asian American um, crime victim fund. And it is, we believe, the, the first of its kind that is a crime victim fund specifically for Asian Americans. Um, and that fund, through our group efforts, was able to raise you know, over, I believe, over $200,000 so far to date. And we have started giving out um, funds. We, we did a whole analysis, a gap analysis on like when people are victims, like how, where do they really need help? Because there's actually a lot of government funding, but the problem is they don't, it takes like two months to get the funding. Meanwhile, you've lost your job or, um, or you have hospital bills or whatever it is and you can't make ends meet and then you kind of can fall off a cliff pretty quickly. There are money is supposed to be quick, easy, it's $2,000 immediately right up front while you're waiting for the government funding to come through. So um, those are two. I think like the key is to realize like we don't always know the answer, right? We need to talk to the people who are going to be impacted and ask them what it is that they need. And then it's an iterative process, right? So as you're going through, <laughs> you need to continue to talk to the people who you're supposedly serving to make sure you're actually serving them correctly. And I think like throughout this, it was like, of course, you got to jump start it somewhere, but you have to be humble while you're going through it to, to flex to the actual needs of the people. Great. Well, I'll go. My name is Vaughn. I am a UX researcher by trade, but what I really identify as is a community member in this community, right? As an Asian American woman who lives in the Bouchard Highway area, I, I consider myself like an active community member, and that's what I'm really proud of. Um, but as just a community member, maybe not like an organizer who can coordinate, you know, do the coordination and the organizing of bringing people together, what that means to me is just really being able to find different organizations that support this and also just talking to people, right? I feel like during those two, you know, kind of crises that we've been dealing with the last few years is really when I kind of like woke up. I feel like I, I woke up from this slumber where I was moving through life as, you know, just just not really feeling like I needed to identify as something or not even feeling like mm -hmm. this this identity was something that I actively had to think about. But in the last few years, I have definitely been more awake to, to what that means to me. And it's speaking with people in my community, speaking with people in my personal network, and making sure that, that people know that they have my support, but then also feeling that support from other people. And then finding the organizations like Rio Pinto Highway who are making the moves and, and doing the things that can make an impact and being able to participate in that. And I feel like, you know, we you mentioned that there is a lot of space for us to grow in a specific region. And I do think that there is like 
you know, we, we don't have as much, it's not as vocal here in the South, and I, and I want to continue to push that forward. And it's hard to do when it's, you know, you're trying to organize just an Asian American community. It's, it's coming together with other communities, I think, you know, and making sure that we are supporting our other communities so that they're coming in and showing up for us. I think one of like the things that really stood with me during that time was, um, you know, during the Black Lives Matter movement, seeing other Asian people showing up at those protests and, and standing in solidarity with our black community. And then, you know, the Asian shootings happened and that really like triggered something in me that I just didn't even know was there. Um, and went to the protest, you know, a couple days after that shooting happened downtown and was so proud to see, you know, other black folks that were there standing up for, for their Asian brothers and sisters. And I feel like that coordination of during the crises is working with all these other communities and making sure that we are supporting them so that we feel that support back. Yeah. Um, hi, my name is Elvonia Gafly. Um, I'm a community organizer, nonprofit leader. So I am, I've been in the nonprofit sector for 10 years now. Um, so the bulk of my work has been in doing health equity, um, HIV, domestic violence work, um, building studios at CPACs, and we've moved on. Um, so I'm... I'm a first generation or 1.5 generation um, immigrant woman from the Philippines. And so based on my lived experience and my professional experience, coordination in times of crisis. So from all the events that has taken place, when and I think of coordination, yeah, it's about coming together and having a specific um, action in mind. So like everyone going towards that same goal and um, and putting whatever resource they can to help each other out. Um, however, I've, I've also noticed that sometimes it's a little bit tricky for our AAPI community to do that. Um, I'm also speaking from as a Southeast Asian woman who does not always look Asian, um, I feel that the focus or the organizing is more with East Asian communities. Like that's, and, and that's from my lived experience. Or if the Asian community is a lot bigger, such as the Vietnamese community, you know, you know like there's, then there's like support and resource available. I know for the Filipino community, for me, I didn't really grow up um, with my parents being active in it. Um, so I've always had to rely on other Asian communities um, for resource or for support in that matter. But I, I think in coordination, sometimes it's it's a little tricky because we don't always identify like, oh, that's my group. Um, I need to help because we've, we've kind of operated separately um, in a lot of ways. And so for me, yeah, ideally, I, I think we work, you know, working together is essential. And I think we've gotten better with it, especially with the younger generation. Because I've also experienced that sometimes um, 
with like first generation or or those who are a bit more senior, it's it's a lot harder um, to coordinate because based on experience or like we just have our own set goals and it doesn't always align. Um, and it could be through politics, it could be through beliefs. Um, and those are factors that affect coordination. Um, and so I, I think we are unique in the South where, for example, like you've heard of highway, all different types of ethnicities and groups come together. It's not always like New York or like California where you have just specific groups of ethnic um, minorities just, you know, like keeping within like to themselves. So I, I think that's what's very unique about the South, but it also has its own challenges because of that. Um, but I, I think younger generation or as, as we're going along, we are recognizing that and we are doing better. Um, and so I guess that's why we're here too, right? Like to, yeah. to have this discussion and to notice the changes and also understand where the gaps are and like, all the necessary work but yeah it's that's that's what came to mind when I thought okay coordination I'm like we're great um but I, I think sometimes we get so lost in the fight that we forget there are other groups behind us that aren't as aware or maybe don't feel as involved or included everything of what you said Amory, is um, kind of what sparked this collaboration it's, 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 it's the discussions that are hard, right? And even in our last group, we identified what 316 catalyzed or meant, right? Um, but we might not have had the same optics as 9-11. And 9-11 attacked a lot of our AAPI brothers and sisters, but for instance, East Asians might not have seen themselves in that fight. Um, and so I think that is, that is an interesting, you know, it, it, how are we different then? Let's just say Latino communities, that they're they collective, they're a huge community also, very different origins, you know, um, dialects and, you know, whatever. But I guess I feel like it's saying or coming together one point that always floats to my head is, is that, yes, it's generational divides. I feel like it's deeper than that too. It's almost as if each of our ethnic, ethnic groups that make up the collective API we have our own individual pains. We have our own, you know, very individual. And so does it serve where we're supposed to be inclusive and wrapped together, but we really aren't in some ways, you know, particularly in how, how we have different pressure points. We have different pain points. We have different histories. Um, so that's something that always comes to my mind is how do you organize through what feels like sometimes herding cats? <laughs> you know <laughs> and so um because as you know nonprofit, you know this is lily with wheeler buford highway executive director and and sometimes you know we we are we're here to serve immigrant space and it is a large you know uh constituent base when you're talking about the larger groups of latino and api and then api is this big latinos are this big you know um so i wanted to kind of say that what, everything what you just said is is so important to highlight and, and it highlight raise awareness but also then recognize it acknowledge it 
how do we learn from that? And what are the actual initiatives to to learn from that? Um, you know, so we can start working better together, I guess. That's definitely what sparks like Julia and I kind of geeked out about it when we were camping. We were like, let's do it. It has to happen. I think because of right and then um, also acknowledging that like I think that the difference is people getting better at it or having to do it in crisis uh, puts us in a different mental space or like organizing space than also trying to maintain those relationships through like joy or through you know celebration and I think that's the work of an organizer but I also want to point out that the gaps in history mean they weren't happy in the larger patterns they weren't right there's so many fields we're sitting in and we're always trying to grow but then anytime history is really deeply entrenched in like discrimination in larger history so I really hope and I think we are like uncovering that those beautiful moments existed in banana history it's just that we haven't made them global really kind of what we want to talk about and also that there are big stakes but if we don't acknowledge the stakes like if we don't acknowledge that there's a difference or that we're failing to include different groups or that we're not showing up strongly enough for groups that we don't see as API or all these things like the stakes are so high I think we can I will maybe I can lead us to so we love you for highway is a very different organization or like organize has different organizing strategies in Triple yeah. um, oh Jamie has Triple F I'm like <laughs> And I think AAAF, because it's in our name, we're Asian American Advocacy Fund, we do really all the time get, like at the membership table, like, well, I'm not Asian. Can I be a member? Or like, do y'all even want to, like, right? And the question is kind of hard, because we have to, of course we want you. But then it's like, oh, do you not feel included? Do we have the right kind of structures to make you feel included? Or like, and we are centering Asian voices, and what does that mean? We're always trying to find what Asian voices we do need, which is impossible, right? So I'm wondering if y'all have also experienced, or if you have a refugee highway or any reason to not register, like what does it mean to struggle with those things? Like um, specifically struggling to, like when someone wants to be included or? No, I think acknowledging difference that API is such a broad umbrella that maybe like Pacific Islanders don't often get recognized I guess I would say, like, I feel like at We Love Buford Highway, that was definitely something that we, and this is Alina Lee, um, that we kind of fought at our inception because we were, I'm half Taiwanese, half Korean, and then our founder, Marion Leo, is 100% Taiwanese. And so we came off as Asian, like an Asian organization. And we were trying really hard to fight that narrative because obviously Buford Highway is so much more than just Taiwanese. <laughs> I mean, that's a very small chunk of yeah. Buford Highway. In fact, Marianne and I, you know, because we we know the community, we know that it is majority Latinx, we really wanted to make sure that our Latinx 
brothers and sisters and community members felt very included and felt just as invested as much as our Asian American community and our African uh, immigrant communities and other immigrant communities. The point of our organization was really much more about telling immigrant stories, and we really wanted to make sure that all immigrants, regardless of immigrant origin, felt like they were part of this larger immigrant tapestry. But we were very much pigeonholed in the beginning, and it took a tremendous amount of effort and communication. In fact, in the beginning, we did a lot of events that were focused specifically on the Latinx community. And I think, you know, Lily definitely has continued that tradition because it was so important to us that the Latinx community understand that we were really there for them, even though we are not Latinx ourselves. So I think, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it, it really takes like effort and just and consistency to build those bridges. It's not just like doing one thing one time. It's keeping the Latinx community in our hearts and minds in all of our programming. And I would, you know, just to add, this is Lily, I, I would add a little bit, you know, because you hit on a couple points. It's it's and, and this is this goes, you know, this is probably rhetorical, goes back to rhetorical, but it's how people identify. Right, so what are the, I don't want to say tiers of identification, what's the closest to home, right? Um, me growing up, I was Chinese. That was my identity. Then I became American after I got the citizenship. Well, I know what that meant. But really when I became that, when I grew into being American Asian or American Chinese, I started to like, that's where I really started getting my voice and clarity. With our communities, it's hard to it's hard to umbrella like and this is where it goes back to this umbrellaing of API. Is it does it work, right? In terms of organizing. <laughs> because if I use the word immigrant, people don't immediately say I'm immigrant before I'm Chinese, I'm immigrant before I'm Uruguayan or you know, immigrant before I'm Taiwanese or whatever, right? It's I am your ethnicity first, whatever you choose to identify. And so during pivot, our uh, COVID, our pivot was really about serving communities truly where they were at, how they saw themselves, you know, in terms of linguistics, in terms of cultural, um, you know, all of that. And so then once we earn that trust, because then they're like, oh, you see us, you see me. You may not see every inch of me or whatever, but you, you, you know, so you start building that trust and that dialogue. Then it was like, oh, you know, we serve immigrants. And then I was like, oh, may we invite you to this identity in a way, right? Because people are, you know, don't, uh, again, it's like when we first came to this country, we didn't immediately say we're immigrants. We call ourselves outsiders. Columbus <laughs> well, Hawaiian. <Wyoming. laughs> but, you know, so I don't there's something about that, I think. And so, and it's not that we're here to redefine how we're supposed to do, you know, I mean, API, absolutely. It's, I mean, where did, where, where did, that, where did that term come from? And what, when did it come from? It's from the Civil Rights Movement. It is from the Civil Rights Movement. Okay, okay. And when did it become largely used by our communities as, as that point of organization? Has it always been like that? Or is it more now since a certain generation? And I'm talking millennial. Like that right. API is not from that, but like Asian American is part of it. Asian American, yes, yeah. yes. But API as an organ, as the as the term the we use, mm -hmm. yeah. the organizing. 
vernacular. And we're changing it now, right? Because we're trying to acknowledge the decline in the numbers of our acronyms. And, 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 and there's just a plethora of acronyms. acronyms. Yeah. We always show because we're organizing ATAM events. Yeah. And we're like, I don't, no one ever spells it right. ATAM. Okay. <laughs> but I think piggybacking on, <laughs> on uh, Lily's point of how you identify yourself, I, I feel lucky to have grown up in a very like diverse area, right? So I'm Vietnamese, that's my background, and my parents are both refugees. They came here in the 80s, didn't speak English. So I started school not speaking English, was really you know quiet and shy for like several years. But once I started, you know, making friends, I feel like my friends were from all different backgrounds. So I had a lot of Hispanic friends, black friends, white friends, actually very few Vietnamese friends because there just weren't that many in the area. Where did you go? In Connecticut. Oh, Connecticut. Yeah. yeah. So so for me, like you talk about like identifying as Vietnamese American, and I do. My culture, you know, I, I only spoke Vietnamese growing up. We always had Vietnamese food growing up. My mom only cooked Vietnamese food and spaghetti. <laughs> like literally the only non-Vietnamese. My mom baked a potato and says, I'm making American food yes. tonight. Yes. Big deal. Right, exactly. So I was like, oh my god, we're having American food. Like, like canned jar sauce. But and so for me, I I grew up like very luckily around all types of people, right? And and actually just few Asian friends in general. So coming to Georgia, I came to Georgia uh, right between my senior year of high school. It was different because I actually when I left Connecticut, everyone was like, Are you the only Asian in Georgia? But there's so many more Asians here than there are up north, or at least where I grew up, um, that I don't feel so pigeonholed into like this identity as, as a Vietnamese American woman, and more so like I identify like I started making more Asian friends in college, and and found that I was like, wow, I have these things in common with these people that kind of look like me, you know, and they're not even Vietnamese, but I have actually a lot of Filipino friends, and just growing up with immigrant Asian parents, I feel like there are so many commonalities. And it and for me having that experience and that background, I'm so much more open to like seeing everyone as just like a, you know, like a comrade where we we have had similar lived experiences. We might not, you know, your parents didn't flee from a country because of war, but they did come here and they had some of these same struggles that my parents did. They suffered from the same microaggressions because from the outside looking in, we are all like a monolith. And that is part of the problem with organizing and coordinating this huge umbrella of AAPI is that even with Hispanic Latinx, you know, a lot of them at least speak some similar language, can understand each other. They might, you know, you know, conjugate things a little differently or there are some nuances here and there, but with the the AAPI community, our cultures are so different. We speak completely different languages, you know? Like, someone might know that I'm Vietnamese and they'll just say like, oh, can you read this like Yi Chang characters? And I'm like, no, like Vietnamese writing is like actually letters, like we don't have characters. So I, you know, I've never learned Chinese. I, I don't know how to read it. Um, and there's just that like misconception that we are all the same and we're not. And, and to your point, um, Lily, about whether or not we need to organize as a umbrella, I do think that we do, right? We do have these differences, but we have so many shared similarities. And if we don't come together as one unified group, then I don't think that we would be able to get much done. And even further than just the AAPI community, 
everyone that, that is fighting the same fight that we're fighting, we need to organize together. And, and that, I think part of it is like being proactive, right? As the AAF, making sure that we're reaching out to people, making sure that they feel included, and being inclusive of people that may not identify as Asian American or Pacific Islander, or what have you. I think it, part of it falls on, the onus is on us, the people who care in us to try to go out there and make piggyback on that is um, what I've been trying to promote and also like say is instead of um, just seeing things like in acting in silos it's more of just approaching situations with the expectation that it's going to include everyone um, so it's not like different ethnicities it's just understanding we're just multinational. Um, so it's it's about just having a standard, right? And that standard is inclusive of as many groups as we can accommodate. I understand also, based on nonprofit work, there's always a lack of resource. So I was gonna talk whether, about funding. Whether, whether yeah. it's translation, whether it's in- interpretation, and it, it sucks because the system I mean, the systems are built <laughs> to do what they're doing, but it's it's the fact that they're there and they only give us a little bit, right? A little bit, which then forces us, okay, which groups do we have to prioritize yeah. for this issue? Which then forces us to narrow it down to our top three, top four. And then, because, oh, that's, that's the larger group, and so we, we'll just accommodate to that. But because of... By doing that, we then forget about the others because we're no longer focusing on them. Um, and, and those people don't feel included or that they're part of whatever um, we're advocating for or we're trying to solve. And that's not true. Um, but but the underlying message is kind of there. And, and so I, I think for us as, as a community, that's something that we have to fight for together, right? In, in order to involve everyone and make sure that everyone is at the table or has a seat at the table we have to advocate for for them even if sometimes they don't you know recognize it or i don't recognize it it's but as a collective if we understand that that this is a standard and this is we're not bending like either you give it to us or we're not doing it for you i mean that's a strong I think sometimes, sometimes we have to take that step because if not, it's just going to continue. And and I think that's just based on experience. And, and I know as a community, we're not very confrontational. <laughs> we don't like conflict. Um, if possible, we try to be the peacemaker or we try to accommodate as best we can and say, Okay, well, if we do this, you know, maybe that it won't hurt as much. But who are we trying to please? Like, why? We don't always have to be scared to speak out. And, but I think that fear comes from the fact that we don't want to be isolated. And so understanding that people are with us or the community stands by us, I, I think that's powerful and, and that's very important to know. Because sometimes it's it's just you hear one voice and they're taking a stance, 
and it's technically for the greater community, but then no one else is standing up behind them. And so that that also sends a message, and, and that's discouraging. Um, but yeah, I just kind of went off on it. No, that's great. I think you're both talking about the fact that we're often pigeonholed, which is like a battle that we need to fight like outward facing, right? Because even if we're all like good and we're all very different, and we in the community we know we're all different and we have different relationships and that not everyone can read Chinese, but like that these things exist, that we're also then fighting the battle of making that legible outwardly because systemically we're set up to fail. We're like placed in this scarcity mindset, right? And to fight amongst each other. And so I think it didn't feel like a rant. It felt very relevant to thinking about the fact that we're organizing against so many hurdles. And then also within the community, theorizing on how we can try to figure out how to like make a community to include everybody equal to make sure people are being settled and cared for. I think I think that like what speaks to me when you say that is that representation matters, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, growing up the Disney princess that I was supposed to identify with was Mulan. She was Asian. But it's like, that's not my history. That's not my background. And then we got Raya, and I was like, she's Southeast Asian. Like, this is like, I only took 30. Raya. Oh my God, you gotta watch Raya. Yes. It's the best Disney movie. <laughs> the best. I never heard of that. Oh my God, Raya is amazing. Okay. I stopped watching cartoons. I find this for cartoons. You gotta watch it. But you see how excited we all got? Because we're like, oh my God, like she looks like me. She has my culture. Like She has my hair. Yes, right? You you get it. But I think like in talking about like like when I see Vietnamese, I'm like, oh my gosh, look, there's Vietnamese like there, or like you know snippets of it in movies and things like that. And and my background is actually working AI, and so I started thinking about how like the resources are limited. I don't have that nonprofit background to really speak to that knowledgeably, but I'm hoping that some of these like advances that we're making in the AI space will help with some of those things, right? Where you might not have to hire a, a translator to to make some of these things available in people's languages so that they can see this and see themselves and know like oh this is speaking to me like you guys are speaking directly to me I know you sometimes reach out to me to get my mom to help with translating to Vietnamese and it and it just makes a big difference right like I I unfortunately have lost a lot of my Vietnamese growing up but I still when I hear it or when I see it in writing and it there's like something it feels like home yes like like I matter too like you guys are directly speaking to me, and my hope is that with some of these technological advancements, we can take advantage of these, you know, within our community to help kind of close the gaps between all the different ethnic groups that we have to cover. So, I guess to piggyback off of that just a little bit about the representation, I think, like, I think Wheel of Beaufort Highway has definitely been thinking about this question very very hard and you know I completely identify with everything that you're saying about just like not feeling seen at all in my everyday life and the first time we love Buford Highway like we decided to do the mural project 
And when I saw that Asian American beautiful art that was like representing us in such a beautiful, positive light, I cried. And it's because I realized it's because I've never seen anything like that in a normal, everyday public space. Like, um, it, it was only like, oh, if I go to, you know, if I'm watching Korean TV, right? You have to, like, go find it, right? Or you're, like, watching Crunchyroll specifically. Like, you have to, like, really go out of your way to find it. But in my everyday life in Atlanta, Georgia, I am not seeing myself in any spaces. And... You know, it's, we've come a long way. I went to the University of Georgia a while ago. And I, but I do feel like in the last five years, I'm really, really proud of the fact that Georgia now has the highest number of state represented, Asian state representatives behind Hawaii. And let me tell you, that was a very concerted effort. That did not happen by accident. That was the Asian community really rallying together as an, the Asian Asians together, all of us together, supporting each other. And I recently, Gapava, the Georgia Asian Pacific American Bar Association, recently held an event for all of our Asian legislatures of no matter what. How if you identify as Asian, you were there. Okay, this is like you get to choose: are you Asian or not? It's not about what anybody else labels you as; it's what you label what what you choose for yourself right which i think is the correct way to look at it and we found like so many people who you know were like quarter asian or half asian that like visibly maybe we didn't realize and it, it and, and that's really like and, and just bringing together all of those people and like asking people that question that was the thing like we actually asked all the legislators like who identifies as asian and that's how we found we truly found everyone that way and i think that I think there's just a lot of hope and I've seen like a lot of great examples of us moving in a, in a more positive, cohesive direction. You know, I have three children. My husband is um, Polish and, um, you know, so our children are half Polish, literally 50% Polish, 50% you know, Chinese. And I've always poured the culture onto my children. I couldn't do the language because I myself, I'm not very, you know, fluent. I speak it, but I can't read and write. And, um, but it really hit me when my daughter, um, my, one of my best friends, she is half Japanese, half Irish. And we were in the round table and they started talking, but they were like bouncing off of each other. And my daughter looked at me and she had tears in her eyes. And she says, I finally found somebody who understands what, I mean to be Asian. And that was a big, you know, it was kind of a, a punch in the gut. I felt like that. I felt like I did I do something wrong? Why is she not? We should be in the same boat because I grew up in America. I'm Chinese American. You know, you're Chinese American. But I, you know, so it was a very interesting discussion. It is a very, very um, uh, deep, it's very emotional. It's very personal. It's very unique per person. But I think going back to that, it really is about that representation. When you find that of yourself, um, that's where engagement flourishes, that's where connection, that's where trust, relationships, everything. Um, but first time I saw Joylet Club was the first time that I actually felt pride. And I wasn't, I was starting to be like, oh, 
yeah, you know, um, I, I do remember those days here in Atlanta in the 19, late 70s. There was not many of us here. I actually just had this conversation. I took my mom one time to go to the doctors um, to be a translator, right? Because it's an immigrant experience that yes. we all know that we've been doing for a long time. And she actually brought this up. I have a um, Mom, she goes, well, Caleb's not Korean. And I was like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, well, what does that mean? She's like, well, he's half Korean, so he's half white. And I felt a little ways about it, and I didn't know why. And I think it's because of something that I've been really struggling with a lot. As like, how do I raise this person who will have a completely different relationship to divinity than I will, right? And, and as immigrants, I wonder if we can also both agree that there's so many struggles with belonging, you know, where I'm like, well, I'm not fully Korean because I'm not in Korea and I'm like American, so Koreans don't see me as Korean, but then obviously I'm not seen as American or I'm seen as foreigner here. I'm not like, so how do I belong? But then am I, and then even in the Korean American community, am I an ABC? Am I a Bob? Right? These kinds of <laughs> distinctions where I never knew if I fit, fit in because I'm 1.5 generated immigrant. But at the same time, for him, that'll be completely different. Like, he will be denied certain parts of his identity by the world. I don't know how to navigate that. And I don't know. Well, bouncing off that, but perhaps opening this up a little bit deeper, you know, um, the unique thing that kind of connects us in that, the the tool that I used to teach my kids was food. That's how I was taught. Every time I tried something new, I was educated as to the origins of the why this was important, what did it mean to our family. This is our, you know, it was education. So when I, you know, I and this goes, you know, of course, this is like it goes back to Buford Highway and the sense of food, but it's irritating to me because yes, food is important to us as an educator, and it's it's how I, it, it's how I identify. It, it brings up all sorts of stuff. I do get very upset <laughs> when that food is. Um, not appreciated or understood or it's don't you Asians eat the same thing <laughs> because you know I you know it's like I don't know it, it's just it's just one of those things is because there is that that idea that so many people uh, only come to it's very voyeuristic right you only come to Beaufort Highway because you want the best soup dumplings in town authentic. the authentic <laughs> but I do get irritated by that, though. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I mean, I connect to the food and the water. Um, to the food thing a lot, because I feel like it's such a great connection piece to, like, a speaking piece almost, right? The representation and seeing someone and knowing their culture, like, it's a, it's a, like, a segue to open up these connections with people of different backgrounds. To me, I've always used it as a, you know, kind of breaking the ice, like, oh, you're Korean, like, well, you know, fun, they have the ice, so, <laughs> you know, and, then, and people are like, oh my god, you know, like, and it is, so like, to, to say, like, oh, you guys all eat the same thing, I think we have come a long way, we have, you know, yeah. like, growing up, um, and going to school, and bringing Vietnamese food to school was, like, so weird, you know, I was so 
much more Sudanese food than, than pho. pho. <laughs> yes. But you know, like now it's like I, I feel like we we're learning like oh Vietnamese food is pho and like you know then there's like Korean barbecue and 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 so I think that we deal with that a, a lot less. But you're right, there is like this voyeuristic thing about coming coming in, getting what you want, and then leaving. But and and the goal is like come in, learn more about me. This is my food that, that you that you love and you want to enjoy, but find out what else there is behind the food, right? The food is the icebreaker, but there's so much more like underneath that. What's interesting for me is because I'm half, um, actually the food brings up a lot of like painful memories for me uh, because you know, my mom would bring us to all these like Taiwanese community events. And then my dad would bring us to all these Korean community events. And what I found was my Taiwanese or Chinese friends had never had Korean food before ever. And yeah. And then when I would go to my Korean friends, they never had like real Chinese food either. They just had the Americanized stuff like they, and, and, I found that my Korean friends look down on Chinese food. They're like, for whatever reason, they felt like Chinese food was like less cool than Korean food. What are you talking about? Um, And so like just had all these as a child, remember having like all these really awkward moments because like my mom actually would always cook like Chinese food and Korean food at every single meal. So we would always have, like she would cook some Chinese food, but then we'd always have kimchi and banchan on the table no matter what. And so like it, it, I just remember like all these just ultra awkward moments that like people just like my Chinese friends and my Korean friends looking at me like, what are, what are you doing? Like, what are you eating? Like, why is your lunchbox so messed up, jacked up here? Um, you know, <laughs> like you can't pair Chinese food with Korean food. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I think identity is an ongoing thing. I'm still there. Like I as a 1.5, like that that to me is the most established thing. And then going beyond that. Immigrant women, okay, yes. Um but then am I Asian American? But I'm not I don't I I don't I can't say I'm this Filipino. It's, and then even within the Filipino community, I don't look full, you know, Filipino. So, I mean, there's also that. And it's just, it's it's a continuous ongoing self-conversation and self-discovery. Um, so I, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard. And, and I think every Asian child who is mixed, um, who does not have all of the typical, like what we call typical Asian features, they're going to go through that journey. I, no matter how much we try to protect them, um, and that's why mental health is important, right? <laughs> Access to mental health, um, but also representation, um, so that when they do want to get help right, or get answers and support, there's a resource that's readily available. Um, but yeah, I. I, it's hard for me to identify as fully American because I'm not. Like, I, I see myself like the types of food I eat, the type of 
like the way I buy things or what I buy, where I go to buy, like that's not typical American. That's Asian. But then like last time I went back to the Philippines was, man, I think 10 years ago or a little bit less than 10. And I, I really felt that I still belonged until I got there. And then when I got there, I realized, no, this is different. Mm-hmm. Um, because and, and when, when I went back, it was like 10 years, right? Like when I first came here and then 10 years, I finally got to go back and, um, and be with, like, with my mom's relatives. And I spent a month and, and I really thought then I was still full Filipino. And I realized, no, because the way I think, the way I like justify things like I couldn't go out by myself even though I was in my head I was an adult and I know where I'm going because I used to live here but my grandma and my aunt would be like no 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 your cousins need to guide you like you know you're not in case you get kidnapped or or things like that and then I I remember I would would go to like the little markets and then I I overheard like a family like a mom and her daughter because her daughter was looking at me as I was walking by, and, and they spoke in, in Tagalog. And the mom told the daughter, like, she's a foreigner. I'm like, I understand you, but I'm going to pretend I didn't. I'm just going to walk away. And I'm like, but I'm not. Like, this this was my home. Like, this is my home. When people ask me, where is home? I'm a village girl. Like, that's, that's what I say. But then to be back and for the people to say, no, this is not that that was a bit of a crisis time for me. Um, And then to come back here and not be fully Asian, but then also not feel fully American, it's an ongoing (laughs) self-acceptance, but also self-discovery in in different ways. And, but I think that's where George is great because again, yeah, like we have a lot of first generation, but as we're going, right, we are building different generations of Asian Americans. Um, and with that comes diversity. And so we, we don't have to just stick to just one group because now we have other people who are coming in with similar experience. Like I, I felt alone for a long time until I started making friends who just, even though, let's say like, they're broadly Vietnamese, but they've experienced the same like traumatic childhood. I'm like, let's connect. <laughs> like, like, what? You're you weren't allowed to go out. Wait, me too. No you couldn't sleep over. No sleepovers. And that was the same with the Latino community. My yeah. best friends are Latino. They're like, no sleepovers. Why is that weird? And and uh, my mom was like, that's too American. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. But those type of experiences, it's not always the most pleasant experience, right? But it's shared understanding. And then that's, I mean, that's how I grew up. But, but identity is, it's such an ongoing, heavy topic. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we probably all have a similar story, right? Where I grew up and was another, because I, I was born in, So going to, you know, 
classes and and really like did not speak much in elementary school period because mm -hmm. I was like I don't want to get made fun of by like you know reading in class is like the most stressful thing because it's like oh my god can you read this before I even have to read it out loud to make sure I know how to pronounce these words because if I say it wrong someone's gonna make fun of me and you know stuff like that and then going home to, to Vietnam it's like you're definitely not getting used to talk there you know you look different you sound different you don't speak well enough you know like people here make fun of my mom's accent but it's like when you go back home you're like you don't sound like how you're supposed to sound uh, I remember actually moving to Georgia and one of the first like few weeks of school you know it, it, a question that we all get is like where are you from and I'm like I'm from Connecticut and they're like no but where are you from I'm like yeah I, I love I mean, belonging, identity, those are those big sort of schemas, right? Those themes um, that we go back to. Um, but I also, and I know we're all getting close to time, yeah, but, we're a little over but education, and that's why the histories of us here, um, the stories of the Filipino community, their immigration stories, you know, the Koreans, Taiwanese, Chinese, Vietnamese, all of us, Koreans, we all, our South Asians, you know, we all, um, I know there's a big movement right now, um, I can't remember the acronym, <laughs> there's these long acronyms, but, um, you know, about getting education, more Asian API education into our curriculums. That is so vital, particularly as our demographics continue to grow, but also diversify. And not world history, but U.S. history. U.S. history, exactly so that we continuously go back to this place of, do we belong? Do we not belong? Um, that's always that point that we go back to. And I think that history is just so, so important. Education is so important. Thank you all so much for having this talk with us. Thank you for listening to this special series of AAPI organizing in the South. We at We Love Beaufort Highway and the Asian American Advocacy Fund believe that listening is an important way to bridge gaps between communities. So thank you for taking the time to lean in and learn with us today. Be sure to share and rate each episode as we work collectively to amplify the voices of Atlanta's AAPI communities. See you next week.